In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I am delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 48th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes either on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to the voiceamerica.com business channel. Be sure to download the app or tune in using your favorite podcast app. If you missed last week's episode, I interviewed Shauna Shu about up-leveling your leadership. We discussed the one quality most people agree on that a leader should possess, and we also talked about what it takes for a leader to gain the respect of the people they lead. Be sure to check out this dynamic conversation from July 23rd. Okay, listeners, today, my guest is Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Welcome, Jolie Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm super excited to talk to you today. And listeners, what you don't know is Julie and I are both ecstatic because we had multiple challenges, we'll call them challenges, technical, most of them technical, out of our hands, some a little bit in my hands. <laughs> and, and so we're just delighted this has all worked out and we're here to talk to you today. It feels like kismet at this point. We are here. We <laughs> yeah. are really here. It's meant to be now. Now, listeners, what you want to know about Jolie is she's a research psychologist. She's a best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, and an ASEC certified sex educator. Now, uh, Jolie, you got to remind me, what does that acronym stand for again? ASEC stands for the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. I'm actually on the board as well. It's a great organization for locating people who are really know what they're talking about when it comes to sexuality. Okay, very cool. And I think for me, that's one of the unique perspectives that you will bring to this conversation today. So if we go off on some tangents, you know, even though this is a on the business channel, my feeling is when people improve the most important relationships in their lives, it's going to pay off in all areas of their lives. It looks like you agree as well. I do. I'm here for it. Okay, good. So listeners, don't be surprised if we get into a little um, areas of sex and intimacy and what that might mean for you. Now, Jolie believes relationships should be as unique and as powerful as we are. Her most recent research considers what romantic jealousy can do or how it can help us learn more about ourselves. And she spent two decades studying and reimagining what love can be if we open our imaginations to the possibility. And I think that can be scary for people sometimes to dare to imagine. Absolutely. That's huge. The daring. Yeah, the daring. Julie helps people create partnerships that are custom built for their authentic selves. No more shrinking, pretending, or hiding required. She's committed to helping people create sustainable, soul-nourishing relationships without sacrificing their business dreams which happens to be the topic of her new book, Project Relationship. 
And maybe you'll share a little bit more about that. I absolutely will. Now, she's also the co-host of the podcast, Claim the Stage. And Julie, that's where I really want to start. Tell us more about this podcast, because the premise really speaks to me. It's for women who want to learn how to speak on stage and speak up in life. So let's hear a bit about that. Yeah, here's the thing. We're always speaking up every time we speak. And every time we choose not to speak, we are missing an opportunity to connect and to really step into our full being. My friend Angela Lucier started Claim the Stage um, five years ago, and she asked me to join six months ago, seven months ago now. Gosh, the, the months are ticking by. And why I said yes is because I really do believe that every place we stand, every place we communicate is our chance to claim the stage. And that scares people. And I am all about doing the scary things, not because they're scary, but because that's where the gold lies. And say, when you say gold, what does that mean for you? Yeah, for me, that means the stuff we want, the stuff we wish we had, the way we wish we could see ourselves in the mirror, it usually is already located within us. And the trouble we're having isn't learning a new skill. It's accessing the, the depths of what we already have. And by actively saying those things out loud on stage yes. or in the bedroom or in a conversation <laughs> with a friend or by asking for what we want at work, when we can practice doing that every single day, we show up and we are fully ourselves. That's, that's the whole game for me. Yeah. What I think I'm hearing is the daring to speak out loud our hopes and dreams. Absolutely. And, and our strengths. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like really bringing our strengths forward. You know, a lot of us were taught, even if it wasn't overtly told to us, we were taught to shrink, to hide, to mm-hmm. people please. Mm-hmm. This is about taking that off and saying, no, no, I'm here. And I've got something to add to the larger conversation of mm-hmm. life. Yeah. I think that's hard for a lot of people. I think I sometimes get um, a raised eyebrow from other people or some maybe resentment or criticism when I dare to shine and show my strengths because I don't know if the story I tell myself is maybe they're feeling jealous or they wish they could do the same or they're thinking how dare she and so I have to uh, be able to be comfortable and accept that I'm going to keep doing it so I'm not going to shrink in order to please other people I'm not going out bragging for the you know sheer joy of it well maybe sometimes (laughs) though I, it's I've got to be okay or when I'm not okay to give myself some empathy when I get maybe a resistant or negative reaction from people. Yeah. You know, I think something people miss about the the premise of standing up and speaking out is that what you're doing is actually allowing people to curate themselves in and out of your life, in and out of your sphere. I, I think that it's a wonderful thing when someone hears me speak my truth and my expertise and they say, oh, you're not for me. Awesome. That's yeah. fine. There are 7 billion of us. We do need to actually, we, you know, if we want to think about Dunbar's number, we can only hold the attention of 150 people in our, in our minds at one time, right? It's okay to curate your world by simply being more and more yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you have an ex- a specific example, perhaps someone you've worked with or from your own life of a person doing that and the payoff. 
Yeah. You know, there are so many examples, but I like to think about this one client that I had, um, a really wonderfully powerful young man. Um, he'd gone and gotten his JD. He'd gone and done so JD many things. Is, uh, his Juris Doxer, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer, it. right? He'd, he'd done those things, and yet he'd gotten to about 27, 28 when we first started working together. And he was not, he was stepping up in some areas, speaking out, but not at home and not with his family. And so what was happening was everything felt constricted. He was intensely constricted um, in his relationship with his wife. He was constricted at work. His business was not, it just wasn't making the leap that he knew it was capable of making. We unpacked his ability to show up fully as himself, speak his truth, ask for what he wanted. And that process, over that process, and it does take a little time to do that, but during that process, he got the love he wanted, the sex he wanted. His business tripled in size. He just signed three international contracts in the last year. This is the life-changing work. This is it. Wow. Something you said I want to explore a little bit more because I, similar to you, I also coach people to become, the way I say it is become bigger expressions of themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. Love that. And thanks. And I, ha- I warn them, I say, so when you're speaking up and being more bold and more brave with people who know you and love you, they're used to you being a certain way. And now you're going to show up differently. And sometimes they're not going to like it at first. That's and real. sometimes, <laughs> yeah, right? They're going to misbehave a little bit. So I warn people, maybe don't practice yet on those really important or, or scary relationships. Maybe practice with complete strangers, start to build those muscles. And then when you're feeling more brave, more courageous, practice with those people and know that there may be pushback at first. For those people, um, I would say what they're experiencing too is they may be noticing where they haven't actually got the trusting depths that they want with all of their people, right? They may have been socialized, as most of us were, to be nice and to be consistent. Consistency is a wonderful thing. But when consistency thwarts growth and personal development, I think most of us understand that that's its limit. That's its downside. That's That's the flip side of the coin. I like what you're saying about practicing in some low stress environments and also practicing with some, some relationships where there's less to lose. There's less, um, there's less emotional investment. So you can practice because sometimes it's literally just about getting the words out of your mouth. Yes. Say the thing because as we speak it, so it can be. Yes. <laughs> it's I, so important. It popped into my head earlier. How many times in my life when I've dared to say something and as a result, it just set it in motion. That's like, it. Here's That's been my, yes, I, I got to hear your Go example because I have seen this over and over and over again. Tell me your example. I got to okay, know. So this is, let's see, going back about 27 years ago, I was working in a psychiatric hospital, job one. I was making jewelry on the side, job two. And I was, and, and my, my fantasy job was to be a travel director to go to, you know, towns around the country and collect groups of people and take them on vacation to some exotic location on a ship, on an island, in some resort. 
And I knew these jobs existed. I heard heard about them. And I had done a really, let's say, half-assed job applying for them. Like I, I, my brother Kevin was coaching me. He said, so Amy, how many resumes have you sent out? Um, 12. <laughs> he said, Amy, you got to send out like 200. And I just started crying. I'm like, I can't do 200. So then I used my other approach, which is just talk about it. So one Sunday afternoon, I'm working in the psychiatric hospital and a staff, an old staff member comes to visit. And he says to me, I, I, I think I still remember his name was Greg. And Greg said, Amy, what's your dream job? I said, oh, Greg, thanks for asking. I want to take people on vacation. Surely, I swear to God, he said, he pauses. He says, uh, I think my sister-in-law does that. <laughs> and then I said, I couldn't get a sentence out. Could I talk to her? And I was living in Chicago at the time. She said, oh, well, yeah, she lives in Cleveland. I said, I'm going to Cleveland to visit my brother in two weeks who I never visit. (laughs) So he sets up an interview for me. Problem is, she's a new mother. She's got a, a new baby. She's on the road traveling. And she's resentful as all get out that she has to speak to the stranger. And he said, uh, I think he told me she'll give you 45 minutes, which I thought was pretty good. She let me leave two hours later. And then it connected me to a company in Chicago where she had worked and that made the connection. And then, so then I got to keep my, my psychiatric job, uh, make my jewelry. And then I was adjusting my schedule so that I could go to Mexico and Arizona. And uh, I had a trip um, to Hawaii and the Caribbean, you know, on a boat and that's it. You spoke it into being. I didn't know that I had been doing that my whole life until my current husband uh, looked at me about, oh, it must have been about 10 years ago. He looked at me and he said, oh, you just said the thing. Now I know where we have to go. <laughs> and I didn't know what he was talking about. He'd been watching me. He'd known me actually my whole life. He'd been watching me do that. As soon as I said something to a stranger, especially to a stranger, I just said it as though it were true. It was going to happen. Guaranteed. It's how I got my PhD. It's how I wrote my book. It's how I had all of my children. <laughs> it works. And it's not, it's not just a woo-woo thing. It's we cannot be. So I'm a depth psychologist. My, my whole realm is the imagination. So Carl Jung talked about the imagination all the time. We cannot be what we can't imagine. And psyche will hold away from us what doesn't fit, right? It, it, will, it will push that out of our perception. So as soon as I become aware of something, I know I got to speak it. I got to say it. I got to let Psyche know I'm here. I can take this. I'll do it. I got you from here. I got it. You did your part. I'll do mine. <laughs> you know, I, that's so exciting to me. And it so uh, reinforces my belief as well. And I've come across people and friends who say, oh, well, I don't want to speak it out loud. I'm, I'm too afraid to because what if it doesn't happen? And my thinking is, I'd much rather be disappointed if it didn't happen than not do everything possible to bring it into my life. That's it. And yeah. disappointment, sometimes I think we forget that speaking something in, and, and it not happening doesn't mean that we will be disappointed. Think back to the times, you know, I once said that I wanted to go on a trip. I didn't wind up going on that trip. But what I did during that time was write a book. I was supposed to be traveling. I was supposed to go to a beach and sit on a beach for a month. And it was going to be awesome. I didn't get to go. I wrote a book, published it in a month. It was so wild. And it never would have happened if I hadn't allowed myself to. Yep, I had spoken that thing. It fell through. So I spoke a new thing into being. This one I actually wrote into being. 
<laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> so this conversation that we've been having, I think there may be a link to this question I want to ask you now. And that is, what step can listeners take today that can create lasting change in any relationship? And, and feel free to um, color it with some stories and examples. Of course. Well, so I really believe that our relationships are limited by our imagination. And so the first step that I ask people to do when they are struggling in any way at all with any relationship, this isn't just romantic partners. This might be a parent or a child or anybody that you're struggling with. And you want shift. You want change. You want something new. I ask them to enter into curiosity. So this I know everybody says curiosity, curiosity, but really, this is deep curiosity. I ask them to take a step back and ask a question of this person that they they think they know the answer to and suspend that belief for a moment and allow the person say, you know, just answer whatever you want. I'm not going to hold you to what you had said before. I'm not going to hold you to making this happen, but just, just daydream with me for a moment. And so I give people whole lists of questions. This happened recently. Um, I was working with a woman who she's been married now for about 20 years to someone who she describes as her soulmate. She loves him. She has a wonderful story about how they met. They are definitely meant to be together. But they haven't been feeling it for a while now. It's been like five or six years since they've really been juicy together. And I noticed that there was this foregone conclusion in her voice when she talked about him as if she already knew everything there was to know. Hmm. So I asked her to, to go on a curiosity date with him, to, to just explore for a little bit and to tell him ahead of time, I'm going to just pretend like I don't know you and I'm going to ask questions that may sound silly. Hmm. They did that. Two hours later, they had spent an actual date not talking about their kids, not talking about their business, not talking about COVID, which was, you know, like taking yes. over every conversation. <laughs> yes. And they had found out that, in fact, they both had some, some stuff going on that was brand new that they had no idea. Wow. They had no idea how to bring it up. Sometimes we have to suspend what we, what we imagine to be true to allow the next thing to happen. So this, isn't, this is A-game curiosity. It requires of you to show up and just allow your partner to be whoever they are today. It's the real trick to this, though, and I just want to include this. Yeah, go for it. Give yourselves an out. What you say during this date, during this time, you might speak something that you're like, oh, you know what? Two days later, I'm not sure I feel that anymore. This is a real time to imagine. So you can have backseas in this date. You can say, you know what? I tried it out. That doesn't actually work for me. This is like bringing your dating, your early dating life forward. So it brings a lot of juice back to a marriage. So if I'm imagining this correctly in a, or how you're suggesting, are you saying that it, it seems like it would make more sense to tell my partner um, I'm, I'm, we're going to um, do so, sort of a role play of uh, not knowing each other? Yeah, uh, and, so that they don't think you're you've suddenly had a case of Alzheimer's. Or yeah, this isn't a thing to spring. <laughs> it's not a thing to spring on people. They might think you're all of a sudden a time traveler and you've now zapped <laughs> into their body. Yeah, we don't want that. It's not an invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> I actually set this up for people. I have like a three page PDF that I, I, I'm like, oh, wow. just read this, read this page beforehand together. 
and you'll get the gist of like, oh, oh, this is an experiment. This is a way to play together and not just have the same old boring like Netflix and not even chill. Um, We're going to instead actually engage in questions. And then I have a list of over 100 questions to ask. And you don't ask all of them. You pick a few that sound good to you and you just explore them. It's a way to really open up space. And it's so yummy. And I love that you provide the questions because sometimes we can get limited. Totally. And, right. Whereas you're, you, you give, you know, you're giving them, it's like color by number. You know, it's just the instructions are so simple and so clear and so supportive. Yeah. And I, there are questions about everything. Questions about what you want to do for work. Questions about what you might like to have for breakfast. Questions about sexual positions you've never tried. Like, so you can pick and choose what suits your relationship at the time. What feels comfy to talk about today or what feels edgy if you're ready to lean into that. And it's really just designed to be a vacation from your, your day to day. And what you just said there, I love that you include edgy questions because, you know, if you've, especially if you have a, someone who wants to be a good student, well, I should, you know, I should push myself and ask. So you're, right. you're making it safe and acceptable to say so, honey. Exactly. You can blame me. Totally cool. Right. I'll exactly. take it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's on the list. I'm not, I wouldn't have it's, asked otherwise. No. I would never. I would never. Sexual shame is such a big deal. And I talk Isn't about it? this all the time. I just recorded a couple podcasts on sexual shadow. I like to be the person who offers you, if you need a permission slip to talk about sex, come to me. I'll write you one. No problem. Gorgeous. (laughs) Is there a similarity or are there differences between sexual shame and just good old homegrown regular shame? Yeah. Well, you know, there is, there is a nuance to it that is Sexual shame is often some of the most severe shame that people experience. It often begins when we're very, very young, even though we don't think of little children as sexualized, the shame around body starts very, very early and it compounds and we hit at least four demarcations along our life, early, early childhood, pre-verbal, then puberty, and then leaving the household, becoming an adult, and then midlife. At least at those four times, there's a whole fresh pot of shame waiting for you to pick up. Woohoo! Yeah. So it's not that it's necessarily different. It's just that it's very intense and it can be incredibly taboo for people to talk about, even with people they trust. I often have people come to me for coaching who are like, I have a great therapist or I have a great coach, but then there's this. I'm like, yep, I got you. I got you. You're not going to shock me. I'm here for that. Hmm. So um, that is fascinating. That idea that it's it's there, that it, it will show up in our lives over and over. It, it reminds me of something. Um, I, my aunt at, at the time she was about seventy eight, single, living the good life in a great retirement village uh, town, and she had uh, a guy who was interested in her, or they were dating, or something. And there was some kind of breakdown in the relationship that, you know, he wasn't calling her. And I I thought, and she was really upset. I thought, oh my God, you mean this crap never goes away? I I thought you, I thought we would outgrow this. And to see, you know, a woman in her seventies feeling insecure because a boy didn't call. That's it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. These things, they don't just go away. And in fact, most of our core stories about relationship were formed very, very early. And then we play them out over and over again. We love, luckily though, we're always walking in a spiral. We don't step in the same river twice, but we may come back to the same shame spot and Mm -hmm. and dip in. We are in a new place, 
but yep, we're still going to have to deal with those same old layers. And so seeing that, witnessing somebody, you know, heading into their octogenarian life, still experiencing that, I think that's a wonderful example of the fact that we are all on this ride and it is messy. That's Mm -hmm. okay. It's good news, actually. It's what's being alive. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. If the, you know, uh, better than the alternative, (laughs) that's the word alternative. Um, So there was a question that was coming up for me about the shame. Oh, not a question. I I was, I can imagine what a gift you are to people and to your clients because to be able to speak those things out loud, I think of Brene Brown. And her whole her work on shame and vulnerability and how just putting a light on something just makes that shame so much harder to maintain that grip on us. Right. Think of it as a barnacle. It's got a hold of you. But when you put light on it, in fact, what we find is it's just a living creature. It has purposes of its own. It was put there for a reason and we can pry it off. We can take a look at it. We can put it in a more more reasonable location where we can view it like an artifact in a museum. These are interesting facts about us, how we yes. came about our shame, our, our stories of shame. My, my, my husband is, is dealing with one right now that he's 54 years old and he's just realizing, oh, there's another one. We pull these pieces of ourselves out and when we look at them, that's when they have the opportunity to transform us just by looking at them. That's, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, so good. Wow. Listen, we're going to take a break in a minute, Jolie. And perhaps when we come back, I want to ask you um, how a person can have a better relationship without dragging a resistant partner into therapy. Because I can imagine that sometimes you've got, you know, one very enthusiastic person and one you know person who's just not interested um, so that's something that I'd be love to explore when we come back from break. Let's do it. Okay. And so listeners, if you want to connect with Jolie, you can go directly to her website, JolieHamilton.com. Let me spell that. J-O-L-I-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N.com. And if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You can find details on my website, carolcoaching.com. And that's Carol with two R's and two L's. When we come back from break, we'll be hearing more from Julie. So stay tuned. You'll be listening. You are listening rather to partner up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often 
with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back, listeners. My guest today is Dr. Jolie Hamilton, and we've been discussing how to create lasting relationships. Now, listeners, what you don't know is during the break, I just found out that Jolie has not one, yet two podcasts. And the, the podcast I actually listened to was about, the, it's with she and her husband. Jolie, what's the name of that podcast? That podcast is called Project Relationship, just like the title of my book. Okay. Yeah. And it's with my husband. So it's a very different vibe. Guys, gals, you're going to want to check out this podcast too, because it, what I loved about it, Jolie, was that. It, the conversation was so organic. It was just like you guys were hanging out in the living room and we were just little, you know, flies on the wall listening to this very candid, very curious, open, exploratory conversation. Is that, would that you that's describe it. it like that? The only thing that's different is we actually record it sitting on our bed, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so generative mm-hmm. for us. I love this because He's a technician. He has a degree in physics and he works as a senior software architect. He's a technical minded person who's been living with a psychologist for a while. So he's he's bringing this completely different energy into the conversations. And that just creates this synergy where we discuss things. And I love, yeah, being vulnerable, letting people see that, yeah, I don't have it all figured out. I simply have wonderful tools for navigating mm. difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And you've been practicing those oh, yeah. skills. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. And we have a complicated life. We have seven kids. We what have, are their ages? They're 14 to 21. So they're 14, 15, 15, 16, 18, 19, and 21. Holy <laughs> smoly cannoli. And, and this is my reaction is coming. I, now I get, because as you know, Julie, I shared with you that I grew up in a family of seven kids and people are always shocked, though it's still a shock to hear it. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I think it's, I thrive in chaos, but it is actually why I focus on communication skills, on personal growth, because I learned the hard way raising these children. You know, you have one child and you think, oh, great, I got this. You have two and you find out, oh, they're actually all kind of different. You find you get to three and you're like, oh, I know nothing. (laughs) It's really helpful to remember that you are always applying skills to new situations because every person you meet, every relationship you have, every child you have, everything, it all requires you to show up fully and then actually apply those skills be mindful of how you ask for what you want, set boundaries. Oh, the boundary setting. I'm teenagers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh gosh. Teenagers. My sister calls them half human, half animal. <laughs> yeah. That pretty 
much tracks. <laughs> so, Julia, a moment ago, something popped into my mind. I want to run it past you and see if you have an opinion on this. I once heard that if you're having an argument with your partner, it's really good to have some body part touching, like your toes, your hands, that it's harder to have conflict or an argument when there's, you know, that physical contact. It's such a simple thing. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. I think that that is a wonderful idea with a bunch of caveats. Okay. I think that for people who are not dealing with um, trauma, like trauma that's active, True. right? Yeah. Oh, and for people who do not have a particular type of somatic experience, this, this embodied experience of overstimulation, so that is, in fact, true for me. Um, I am a person who has a trauma history, but it's been very well integrated at this point. So, in fact, I do practice that. I, I will reach out and just touch toes or a hand um, of my partner um, or even a close friend. Like, like, we'll reach out and touch during the argument briefly just to make sure, right, you're human. I'm a human. We're here in this together. But... There are a lot of ways that we can accidentally push someone over into a historical battle that they've been raging with since time immemorial, and we might not realize that. So I wouldn't say that that's a universal. I would say it's a wonderful tool to have your, in your toolbox if it works for you, but you should You're test the wires. cutting out there, Julie, I'm, uh, the connection. Oh. Connect, uh, let's restart. Re- rewind to that's a wonderful tool. That's a wonderful tool to have in your toolbox, but I would want people to make sure that they're doing it with mindfulness around consent and checking in with, you know, who your partner really is. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't know what people's triggers are. So that in itself could be its own conversation, right? How does touch work for you? I'm going to go off on another tangent. I just realized I I had a trigger when I was in college. There was a, a, um, I was dating this guy who unbeknownst to me was dating several other women And one of the women he was dating was about my size. I'm pretty tiny. And one day she came up to me and she patted me on the head. Insanely condescending. And I don't know if it bothered me right in the moment or after I found out that they were having a fling together. (laughs) And ever since then, Julie, if someone pats me on the head, and it's very tempting because I'm so tiny, I just want, I just, oh, it brings up such rage in me. I feel that completely. I'm five feet nothing. So... I gotcha. It's when we get a memory trapped in our body, like there are ways to work through that. But most of us have these little triggers that are trapped in our body and they're not necessarily worthy. Like we don't prioritize like working all through all of it. And so there can be ways my, my partner knows do not run your fingers like through my hair because there's a trigger there. It, it, it gets me. And it's not something I'm willing to go spend a year working on. It's not a big deal. I just put my hair in a ponytail and it's fixed. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get there someday. You are, you're demonstrating your body autonomy by, by setting those boundaries, setting those limits. And sometimes mm-hmm. we forget that we can have, we always have that, that autonomy in all of our relationships. And mm-hmm. if we can give, grant that autonomy to our partner and to ourselves, now we can have the conversation about what we're doing. How do we, how do we practice consent in marriage? That is all, that's a whole that's a whole wheel of cheese by itself. I bet. <laughs> so, so let's, I don't want to make sure I follow through on what I promised listeners before the break. Um, this question I have for you about how can a person have a better relationship without dragging a resistant partner into therapy? What are your thoughts on that? Well, 
Let's start off with consent. In fact, if your partner is resistant and you force an issue, we may be dangerously close to, to really whether we're honoring our partner's consent. That said, a lot of issues require a third person to get some eyes and ears on the situation. If your partner's resistant, it may be because they misunderstand exactly what therapy will be. Like they may have only imagined a couple of examples or they've only heard some stories or maybe they've had a bad experience. Uh. Believe your partner. If they say they don't want to go, believe them. The first thing I tell people if they show up and they say, well, I want to come with my partner. He's not here right now. Sorry, but it's most frequently I hear from a woman whose male partner won't, doesn't want to join. Sure. What I say is, that's okay. That's cool. Do you want change? They say yes. I say, okay, great. We're off to a wonderful start. You know you want change and you can make change happen. All systems respond to change. You are part of the system. Therefore, if you alter your sense of self, your behavior, you can change the system. Given enough time and trust, they may decide that they want to enter into that that process as well. But it doesn't have to be, oh, we have to go through it this way because someone told me that you have to do it this way. There's also this. Sometimes people are resistant because they are already two feet out the door. That resistance is their way of telling you that they're two feet out the door. Uh-huh. Right. I, I don't like this, but I've seen it happen before where someone has shown up essentially to be in proximity to me as a coach sitting there holding space for them to, to make it clear that they want a divorce. They're done. That is not a pleasant space to be in. None of us wants to feel that. But the transition periods in our life are also when we have the opportunity to become whatever's next. And so I'm always honored to sit with that discomfort of, oh, my, my partner doesn't want to show up or my partner shows up and then they leave because there is still growth to be had. You are not mm-hmm. held back because they don't, they don't want in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful to realize that change can happen within a relationship, even if it's just one person starting to shift. Absolutely. And I see it every single day. I see it in my own relationship. And sometimes it's the smallest change. Often what, what's needed is a simple shift into believing that things can be better. So simply by you engaging in your work. I have people grab my book all the time. It was written with a, a couple in mind, but I have people all the time who are in between relationships, I say, they're not, you know, and they're, they pick it up, they start doing the exercises and they show up to their next relationship, knowing more of what they want, how they want to be. They make a shift. Everything changes afterwards. Yeah. It's ironic. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Julie, I am a big advocate of honesty and transparency. And I'm curious to know how honest should people be in relationships? This is a wonderful question because I have a long-standing um, uh, habit of being addicted to honesty. Like I love mm. it so much. Mm. I am incredibly transparent. I mean, I talk about sex all day. However, <laughs> <laughs> I learned by watching a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that sharing everything, everything was the same thing as being honest in a relationship. Okay. There are these, 
there is a difference. There's a very, it's a very, very nuanced difference between privacy and secrecy. They're not the same thing. And sometimes we think we're being private with something when actually we're being secretive and we're not being Mm -hmm. honest, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes we're oversharing. We're actually, we're, we're making everyone know all of our things. And I have definitely fallen prey to this. I'm oversharing, sharing every detail in an effort to be transparent, but I'm not allowing myself any privacy at all. And what I have noticed over time is that when I don't give myself privacy, to have an inner experience, it's very easy for me to live out there in, in the outer world, as an extrovert especially, yeah. to live out there in other people's viewpoints, perspectives, to live out there in, in my persona who have presented to them. And so I started teasing apart these two ideas. What do I want to have be private to me? What part, for instance, of my sexuality is private but not secret? For me, that starts with my masturbation habits. Simple as that. That can be private behavior without being secretive. And that allows my partner and I to have discussions about what the erotic energy is around uh, around solo sex and how do we communicate. Oh, about I that. love that. Solo sex. Solo I've sex. I've never so- heard that term. Solo sex is real sex. For real. I love For it. For real, right? You are your own first lover. So, <laughs> and I did I not make that up. Flowers and chocolate. Exactly. That's Betty Dodson's work. Amazing, amazing. And when we when we can allow space for some privacy, because we trust that the other person is not going to be secretive, right? That's where like there is this allowance of of individuation. And I like to think of relationships as our opportunity to accelerate our individuation by really being present for the growth that that we're each going through. That means allowing for some privacy, but also being willing to distinguish when something's a secret. Here's my trick. Yeah, please do. That's exactly where I'm going. How do you distinguish that? Who's going to be impacted by this? If someone else is going to be impacted by my decision, and I've decided that this is not not their business and I'm going to keep it to myself, I got to think about what my motivations are. So, uh, for, uh, for example, is if I am going to be late for dinner and everyone else isn't going to even know when they get to eat dinner because we're all waiting for me to come home with the ingredients for dinner and I'm not, and I don't share that information, everybody's going to be bothered and harmed, right? So, a text is in order. This is a really simple example. But what if that's about sex? What if it's about, what if it's about money in the family? If everybody's going to be impacted then now that's not a time for privacy. That's a time where we're, we're dangerously close to secrecy and honesty really is going to be the only way forward. When we're talking about things like sex, like money, like religion, like spirituality. But there, on the other hand, there are times when it's really all about your inner experience. Lots of times. What I think about the book I'm reading um, what my habits of masturbation are, like what I, what I like to do with my personal time, what's in my journal. Those are my things. No one's being harmed by them. No one's being, and here's the important word, impacted. Okay. So that's, that's the, the measure. That's the uh, measure. If, so, if no one's being impacted for better or for worse, then this I can be in integrity and keep it to myself. Exactly. And so, 
This usually comes up, let's face it, around affairs. It just does. It comes up around affairs. Okay. People are like, well, they don't know any better, so it doesn't, so it doesn't matter. It's not hurting them. Yeah, actually, that's not true. If, if everyone is not able to consent to what's happening, then you have physical impact, you have psychological impact, you have long-term impact to the health of the relationship if and when it ever does come to light. Yes, impact is being made. And it doesn't matter that the intention is not harmful. The right. impact or is, is to harm. protect. It, so right. here I could see my just, if I could, if I was, ha- was having an affair or had an affair and I said, oh, I'm not going to tell my partner about this because um, it would only hurt him, then that's a, a false privacy. That's really, a, because I want to avoid him being upset. Yeah. And we get into some reality. really tender areas here where, on the other hand, if something is over and done with, I have certainly seen people who don't bring that affair to light and move forward, usually with therapy. And I don't want to say it can never work because it can. Yeah. But here's the thing. You're also signing on to carrying that forever. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, sometimes people want to share all the details of an affair. And that's actually about, I want you to hold this for me. I yes. feel guilty so you, here, yep. you hold all this for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't ask for all that. Thanks. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan of full disclosure. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of getting back on even ground and making real agreements that you can stick to and be in integrity. I think that's the word I would prefer. What you just yeah. said. Integrity. You just um, triggered a memory for me from many, many years ago. So let me give you the highlights. Um, I had a, a very close friend who, um, and she had a close friend and I, um, made a decision that was going to, um, would have impacted her close friend. And when I, after doing, making this decision, I felt so guilty and so horrible. I stopped the thing I was doing. And then I wanted to tell my friend and I was just about to do it because I wanted to be honest and transparent and, and back, put myself back in integrity. So I thought I was, had really good intentions And then my sister pointed out, Amy, you are now putting the burden on her to decide if she's going to share that with her friend. Yes. And I I was like, oh, so I made a decision not to tell her and carry the burden myself because that was unfortunately the price I was paying for the decision I had made. Um, And that and even though it all blew up in my face because someone else told her, so then it looked like I was really dishonest, even though I was only like dishonest once and maybe looked like I was dishonest twice. Um, it, and that was, you know, tragic for me because I lost the friendship. Well, you know, I, I made the wrong choice from the very beginning. Um, though I, I, listening to you now, I realize that at least I was um, not putting that burden on her intentionally. Right. When I say life is messy, this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. I really believe that when we act in integrity and we are attempting to, you know, really care for others and ourselves at the same time, you know, attend to boundaries and, and, and show care, deep care, we are still going to get banged up by life. That's just true. There is no way to avoid that. So instead, I hear you having integrated that as yeah, that wasn't fun. I don't like how that went. And yet there is a silver lining of, of uh, 
a carefulness that you were showing and two lessons to learn out of that. (laughs) And the good news is that thing that I did, it, the impact it had made it so clear to me that from that moment, I was like, oh, I'm never, ever going to do that again. And yes. that, that was a huge leap in my level of integrity. Um, wish I could have learned it differently. <laughs> I certainly and, have those moments too. Those, we yeah. look back on them. Those are our catalyst moments, right? The, the, nothing will be the same afterwards. I certainly have those. My clients yeah. all have them. Usually people show up looking for help when they're dealing with the fallout from exactly that kind of moment. And I say it's, do you choose forward or do you try somehow to piece together some, some before that no longer exists? Yeah. I'll pick forward every time. You got it. You know, Julie, you used the expression earlier in individuation. I'm not even saying it right. Individuation. That's it. Accelerator. Um, Tell me more about that. So Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist, um, coined the term individuation, meaning the that pull forward into the most you, you there could be, right? So this is the the psychological growth that one experiences. It's a spiritual level growth, you know, not not religious, spiritual growth. And, And an individuation journey, it's not a place you arrive at. No one is individuated. It's always a journey. And so as we grow and learn, and we often think about individuation as an individual thing, like it's right in the word, right? But so I happen to be an extrovert who studied Jung, which is a kind of weird thing. But what that means is I think about my relationships to other people as being my primary ground for learning who exactly it is I am and who I want to be. It's in those mistakes like we were just talking about. So I see relationships as the opportunity to be very conscious, to, to really process what's going on in my relationships, to get very intentional and, and, and look closely at them, and then to decide to choose growth over comfort every single time. Mm-hmm. And that's when two people can be on a journey together where it's not that you're growing at the same pace and you're always on the same path and at the exact same time. Far from that. Instead, it's, nope, I, we have chosen to be each other's partners in this way. And by doing that, we have decided that, in fact, we're going to become more like more us, more individually us. And that's going to mean sometimes it feels, oh, well, I don't even know who this person is. And we're just going to stay present to that. Present to the fact that I don't need to know exactly who you are every moment to know that I am committed to you. And we're doing this thing together. It makes it so much safer to do that tough work. Repeat that last one again. It's, I don't necessarily have to know who you are all the time. To know that I am committed to you. Beautiful. We're just about to wrap up the show, though. I'm going to see if I can squeeze in one more question in 30 seconds or so. Can you say two things people absolutely must get clear on to have a passionate partnership? Oh, goodness. Okay. To have a passionate partnership, I want you to get clear on two things. Your why. Why are you showing up to have this relationship at all? Answer your why. Then together, decide what your relationship's purpose is. For real, decide what the purpose of this relationship is. And it doesn't have to stay the same. You can reset the purpose, but you need to do it together. So Mm -hmm. like while you're raising your children, it may look one way and then it may shift some. If you have a purpose 
then every hardship becomes part of the, the purpose. It becomes part of why we're doing this together, why we lean into each other. This is why we are here. You use your why to prop up the ouch that you might feel as you grow. You use the purpose to prop up the relationship as you grow together. Oh, that's gorgeous. Um, thank you for making that so concise, the why and the purpose. Okay. So, Jolie, as we're wrapping up, I'm curious to know, what is one call for action you have for the listeners? Well, since we talked about it right away, I want everybody to go download the curiosity date from my website. If you just pop over to JolieHamilton.com, you can those grab questions? the curiosity Yes, those questions. They're free. Everybody can grab them. You can have this date tonight. And it's such a fun way to shift things, to make change today. So grab it, grab it. And it's called the curiosity question. The curiosity date. The curiosity date. And they can find that on the front page. It's easily. right there, right at the top. Right oh, man, I, I don't even have a partner right now. I'm going to download it. <laughs> yeah, do it with yourself. A, cur- right? a solo curiosity date. Yeah. Yes, do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so um, listeners, my call for action is for you to go to Jolie's website and uh, see what she has to, available. And then I'm going to just reinforce what she's just said to download the curiosity date. And her website is JolieHamilton.com, J-O-L-I-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. My second call for action is to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and successes. You can do that via email or social media. And I'll be able to share them on future sessions, talk about them, perhaps make suggestions, or we can learn from your great insights. My email is amy at carolcoaching.com. And the, oh, I also want to mention listeners next week, I'm going to be interviewing Dan Magenta. So be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up and be inspired because he is a prolific author, public speaker, coach, podcast host. Dan has a mission to enable you to choose an abundant, joyful purpose-driven life. Makes me think of what you just said about the why and the how. No, no, the why and the purpose of your relationships. Totally. And I love Dan. So listen. Oh, well, there we go. (laughs) If she, if Jolie loves him, we're going to be in good spirits. So listeners, check out my website for more information, carolcoaching.com. Check out uh, my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. And listeners, if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live about five minutes past the hour today for a short debrief on today's show. Thank you, Jolie. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.